Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we trap weird and wonderful science inside your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this special Venus flytrap edition, we look into how these wonderful carnivorous plants sense their prey, how they can count and remember, how they snap shut so quickly, and their biomagnetic fields. Dionea mosapula or the Venus flytrap, is a small carnivorous plant that grows in North Carolina and South Carolina in the United States, in peat bogs. Each plant grows six to eight leaves from a central bulb. The lower part of the leaves is flat and green for converting sunlight into food, like any plant. The upper part of the leaf has been shaped by evolution into a trap, something like an open book, with long spines around the edges, suggestive of teeth. The inside of the trap is usually red and secretes sweet-smelling nectar that attracts insects looking for an easy meal. The insects crawl or land onto the trap and start feeding on the nectar. Each of the two lobes of the trap have three little hair-like structures sticking up in a triangle. As the insects crawl around to feed, they casually knock these trigger hairs. Knock twice, and the trap snaps shut in a tenth of a second. However, it doesn't close all the way shut. The spines around the edges interleave like loosely clasped fingers, leaving gaps for insects too small to bother with to easily escape. If the insects are too big to escape and keep struggling, then the trap seals tight, and enzymes pump into the trap to dissolve and digest the insect prey. Venus flytraps get most of the nitrogen and phosphorus they need from the insects they catch, making up for the poor nutrients in the soil they've evolved to thrive in. The similarity between a Venus flytrap and a bear trap is quite remarkable, isn't it? The general appearance, the teeth, the action. Now the bear trap has a trigger right uh, there. And if that trigger is pushed... Carnivorous magnetism. In 2016, I reported the discovery led by the Institute for Molecular Plant Physiology and Biophysics in Germany that Venus flytraps can count. In order to mimic an insect, scientists displace trigger hairs manually and record electrical events, the so-called action potentials. This finding documents that touch a mechanical stimulus is converted by the trigger hair into an electrical wave. The trapped insect struggles to escape the green cage, repetitively touching the trigger hairs. Trains of action potentials excite the flytrap. The panicking insect elicits more than 50 action potentials per hour. These electrical waves are translated into the flooding of the trap. The trap turns into a green stomach. The Venus flytrap recognizes a prey by the number of contacts with its touch sensors. Mechanical stimuli are converted into action potentials. Two such electrical signals close the trap. 
from the second action potential on, electrical signals are translated into touch hormone action. From the third stimulus on, digestive enzymes get produced. And with the fifth signal, uptake of nutrients is initiated. They communicate within their leaf traps with electrical signals in the same way that animals do in their nervous system, with evoked electrical potentials, changes in voltage. The plants use these signals to count to five touches of their trigger hairs in the process of snapping shut the trap on insect prey and digesting them. In 2021, the Johannes Gutenberg University of Mainz leads a team that have measured the magnetic fields associated with these electric signals. The human brain emits electromagnetic fields from its electrical action potentials with a strength of one picotesla. The action potential signals in Venus flytraps emit half a picotesla. Venus flytraps grow traps that are open in two halves like a bear trap with three little trigger hairs on each inner surface with nectar-producing cells to attract insects to feed on. If the hairs are touched only once, then it may be the wind or the rain, which is not worth the plant's energies to close its trap, but the plant gets ready to close. Two times within 20 seconds, and it's worth the energy expenditure to snap the trap shut quickly. At this point, the traps don't close all the way. They leave enough space that small insects like ants that aren't worth the plant's trouble can escape past the traps interlocking teeth-like spines. The third touch means that a larger insect like a fly is struggling, so it closes the trap tighter, sealing it. If the prey escapes because it's too big or too strong, then there are no more touches. So it's not worth trying to digest anything. A fourth touch, and the plant produces the feeding hormone jasminate. On the fifth and final touch, digestive enzymes are released that dissolve the soft parts of the insect and allow the plant to absorb the nutrients. Dinner time. In the Venus flytrap, like all plants, xylem flows to transport water and minerals, while phloem flows to transport soluble organic compounds like the food made in photosynthesis or absorbed from prey. It's thought that the phloem is conducting electrical signals between cells. The leaf stalk or petiole is not excitable and is electrically insulated from the trap. This means that the traps can be cut off the leaf stalk for the purposes of easier measurement and experiments while still being stimulated and electrically active as if it was still attached to the plant. The team used a type of superconducting quantum interference device, or SQUID, specifically commercially available Q-spin zero-field magnetometers. These optically pumped magnetometers employ a glass cell containing alkali vapor to sense changes in the local magnetic field environment. They used a walk-in magnetically shielded room so an experimenter could stay inside to prepare plant samples and carry out measurements without outside interference. The team also measured the Venus flytrap voltage changes to make sure the tiny magnetic fields they saw were caused by the plant's activity and not background noise. The team hoped their measurements will lead to understanding the molecular basis of biomagnetism in living plants. 
and in the future that magnetometry may be used to study long-distance electrical signalling in a variety of plant species and to develop non-invasive diagnostics of plant stress and disease. Their paper was titled Action Potentials Induced Biomagnetic Fields in Carnivorous Venus Flytrap Plants and was published in the journal Nature. Numbers were used to count but soon they were also being used as abstract symbols for states of being. Venus flytraps remember and measure time. When you count, you have to remember the numbers you've already counted, or you lose your place. If you're going to wait 20 seconds, then you need a way to measure that time. Researchers at the National Institute for Basic Biology in Okazaki, Japan, have found that Venus flytraps keep their memory of how many times a trigger hair has been stimulated by an insect, and how long ago, by using calcium. The researchers added genes that produce a protein that glows green when exposed to calcium to the Venus flytraps. When the team tapped one of the trap's sensory hairs, the base of that hair began glowing, and then the glow spread through the leaf, before beginning to fade. When the researchers touched the hair a second time within 30 seconds, or touched a different second hair on the leaf within that time, the trap's leaves lit up even brighter than before, and the plant quickly snapped shut. Each time a sensory hair is triggered, it signals the release of calcium. When the calcium concentration reaches the level of that second, faster surge of calcium, the trap closes. So far, Researchers haven't found the connection between the calcium surges and the electric potential voltage changes and magnetic fields seen by the researchers in Germany. Since they both happen when the plant senses insects and snaps shut, surely they must be connected. The paper was titled Calcium Dynamics During Trap Closure Visualised in Transgenic Venus Flytrap and was published in the journal Nature. Feed me! Oh, take it easy, Dracula. What do you think I'm carrying here, my dirty laundry? Where a man-eating talking plant gives homicide something to think about. I didn't do it. Do what? Whatever. Ever see this man? Man, see picture. Why are you so nervous? Boy, you kiss good, Audrey. Oh, I guess I just have a good kisser. Now you will do as I say. Yes, Master. You will go out and find me some food. Yes, Master. What's the matter? Don't you like me? Too bony. Too bony? Nobody ever told me that before. Beef is better than veal. Ah. You're such a dodo. What do you call this? Chopped liver? You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. If the insect struggles to get away, more pulses cause the trap to close even tighter. 
man may have thought he built a better mouse trap, but he's never built one like this. Why, the trap is also a stomach. The animal will soon be digested by the plant, and in a few days, the Venus flytrap will be open for business again. Now that action of the jaws snapping shut, it can take place in a 25th of a second. It can even catch flies. And yet the plant is completely devoid of muscle tissue. That flow of electric current, we know it's there. And yet the plant has no nervous system. How does it happen? Someday we'll know. It doesn't seem to have any central nervous system. Then how does it move? All plants move. And they don't usually pull themselves out of the ground and chase you. How does the trap snap? It's been a mystery just how the traps of Venus flytrap snap shut. There have been various theories competing, but it's still controversial. In 2012, a team from École Polytechnique Universitaire de Marseille in France threw out one popular explanation for the Venus flytrap's quick motion, that water movement within the plant cells from inside the trap to outside makes the jaws snap. They examined the pressure change inside a single cell as the leaves snap shut. They found that the movement of water between the inner and outer cells was far too slow to be responsible for the plant's rapid movements. It takes a few seconds for each cell to relax, which means it would take about two minutes for the plant to close, rather than the fraction of a second we observe. They presented their results as probing the mystery of the Venus flytrap's botanical bite to the American Physical Society's Division of Fluid Dynamics in 2012. Perhaps the most challenging use of the computer is the simulation of real situations. If, for example, a machine is properly programmed and is provided with sufficient numerical data concerning a chemical plant, then the computer begins to take on the functions of a working mathematical model of that chemical plant, in which it is possible to determine the probable effects of many possible courses of action. Today, there are working mathematical models of railroad systems, rocket engines, complete reactors, and whole living communities. The calculator is helping to define society's most complicated problems. It is a tool for turning inspiration into fruitful prediction. As an information machine, it has done much to broaden the base of our growing concepts. But the real miracle is the promise that there will also be room for those smallest details that have been the basis for man's most rewarding wishes. This is a story of a technique in the service of mankind. In 2020, researchers from the Freiburg Botanical Garden and the Living Adaptive and Energy Autonomous Material Systems Cluster of Excellence at the University of Stuttgart in Germany have used biomechanical experiments and virtual Venus flytraps to explore the issue. They've shown that the mechanism of the traps are made from three layers of tissue that are slowly pre-stressed like a spring when the trap opens. The researchers have analysed the interior and exterior surfaces of the trap 
using digital 3D image correlation methods. Using the results, the team then constructed several different kinds of virtual Venus flytraps in a finite element simulation. Where the differences between the virtual flytraps are in their tissue layer setups and in the mechanical behaviour of the layers. Only the digital traps that were under pre-stress displayed the typical snapping behaviour of the real Venus flytraps. The team confirmed this observation with dehydration tests on real plants. Only well-watered traps were able to snap shut quickly and correctly by releasing their pre-stress. Watering the plant changed the pressure in the cells, and with it, the behaviour of the tissue. In order to close correctly, the traps also had to consist of three layers of tissue, an inner which constricts and an outer which expands, and a neutral middle layer. So the water is important, but the 2012 team showed that the transfer of water in cells can't be the direct mechanism that closes the traps, because it's too slow. So the traps rely on sufficient water, but we're not certain how and why the water causes the spring light stress on the inner and outer layers of the trap. The 2020 paper was titled Snapping Mechanics of the Venus Flytrap, Dionea Mucipola, and was published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, USA. Well, the Venus flytrap has a trigger also. In fact, it has six of them. Three on each side. But there's a difference. The bear trap doesn't know a bear from a piece of wood. But the Venus flytrap does. You see, to touch the trigger hair just once is not enough. Nothing happens. But if we touch the trigger hairs more than once, and at just the right intervals, the trap is sprung. You see, no energy is wasted on a twig or a leaf that might fall into the trap. And finally, how can plant hairs sense the light touch of insects? Researchers from Julius Maximilian's Universita, Würzburg in Bavaria, have sequenced the genes from a thousand harvested Venus flytraps trigger hairs to find out how they can sense the motion of a fly. They named the touch-sensitive protein they discovered Flycatcher 1 and found it's also responsible for how cape sundew tentacles are able to detect insects. Both cape sundews and Venus flytraps belong to the botanical family Drosoraceae. The team planned to test Flycatcher 1 for medical therapies that mechanically stimulate human cells, such as neurons. The hinge trap of Dionea is two halves, each carrying three sensory hairs. When a hair is bent by touch, an electrical signal, an action potential, is generated at its base. The team found that at the base of the hair are cells in which ion channels burst open, due to a stretching of their envelope membrane, and in this way, they become electrically conductive. The upper part of the sensory hair acts as a lever that amplifies the stimulus triggered by even the lightest prey. These micro-force touch sensors transform the mechanical stimulus into an electrical signal that spreads from the hair over the entire trap. Based on previous research, they knew that the proteins involved in sensing touch were likely to have the capability of moving an electrical current across the cell. Sure enough, this type of protein was the second most common type found in the hairs, after a protein that helps a plant make insect-attracting terpenes. 
To test the Flycatcher 1 protein, colleagues at Scripps Research put it into mammalian cells. These cells responded by producing an electrical current when touched, proving that the protein is sensitive to mechanical stimuli. The team examined the tentacles of the Cape sundew, a carnivorous plant that's a close relative of the Venus flytrap, and found the same protein. In the sundew, these sticky tentacles sense the movement of a struggling insect, stimulating the leaf to curl up and trap its prey. Beautiful, isn't it? But these are not flowers. They're leaves of the sundew plant, nature's own brand of flypaper, and they're covered with bright red hairs. The glands that manufacture the sticky secretion are located at the ends of these hairs, and it is through these same glands that the food is assimilated by the body of the plant. As a next step, the study authors plan to grow Venus flytraps genetically modified to remove the genes that make Flycatcher 1. If these flytraps are unable to sense touch, it will prove conclusively that the Flycatcher 1 protein is used in wild Venus flytraps to sense the light touch of crawling insect prey. The paper was titled Stretch Activated Iron Channels Identified in the Touch-Sensitive Structures of Carnivorous Drosericeri Plants and was published in the journal eLife. I've grown carnivorous plants since I was at school. I started with the Venus flytrap, which I overwatered until it died. I then went to the library and read several books on how to care for carnivorous plants and tried again. I now have a large collection of Venus flytraps, sundews, butterworts, bladderworts, trumpet pitchers, and tropical pitchers. I belong to the Australasian Carnivorous Plant Society and I maintain their seed bank. You can buy Venus flytraps and Cape sundews at most nurseries, even the nurseries attached to hardware stores. Be wary of buying seeds online, as some of these turn out to be something else, and you can't easily return them. Venus flytraps start life very small and take years to grow big enough to catch houseflies. So, as a beginner, I recommend you buy an adult plant. They grow well outdoors or in a bright window as they need lots of direct sunlight. As Venus flytraps evolved in the Carolinas, they need to get cold and hibernate over winter so they're not hurt by frost and snow. I highly recommend you buy a carnivorous plant and watch them grow. They're lots of fun. The clips were from the Carnivorous Plants by the Moody Institute of Science, who was, of course, a creationist institution. God did it. You can find it in the Prelinger Archive on archive.org. It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses! Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happens. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. No, it's not this one. What kind of a weird plant is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plant? Girl. You don't make a nice voice when you live on Skid Row, Mr. Mushnick. 
Well, this is my date, my boyfriend. A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing pain. Hey, stop me a dentist. People will pay you to be in pain. I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. Feed me Seymour. And a plant. Feed me all night long. How am I supposed to keep on feeding you? Whoa! Rick Moranis. It's a total disgrace to the dental profession. Ellen Green. Excuse me. Excuse me what? That's better. Vincent Gardenia, with special guest appearances by Steve Martin, John Candy, and Bill Murray. It's a professionalism that I respect. Little Shop of Horrors. And that's all from me this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations. To science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook if you wish and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8CCC in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2MBR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88, in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's science360.gov internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on DiffusionRadio.com, where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. 
Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.